Welcome all. Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Travis Decker, an active duty surgeon from Eglin Air Force Base. Today I'm talking to Dr. Robert Laprade, who needs no formal introduction. He's a world-renowned surgeon and thought leader of surgical anatomy and reconstructive procedures of the knee. He currently practices in the Minneapolis area at Twin Cities Orthopedics and continues to pave the way for knee surgeons across the world, seen by the care of his patients, his research, and contributions to our sports societies. I'll be focusing on classic articles within arthroscopy with a particular interest in the advancement of surgical techniques and lessons learned. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Laprade. I'm very excited and eager to learn reviewing your article from March 2012 in Arthroscopy entitled Prospective Outcomes of Young and Middle-Aged Adults with Medial Compartment Osteoarthritis Treated with a Proximal Tibial Opening Wedge Osteotomy. Dr. Laprade, congratulations on all of your achievements and contributions and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Decker. It's really an honor for me to participate in this podcast with you. Dr. Laprade, can you start us off with a brief description of your particular interest in the use of proximal tibial osteotomies, what your specific indications are for this procedure, and how your patient selection has changed with recent advancements in knee arthroplasty procedures within the last decade since your article was released? Well, my original interest in proximal tibial osteotomies was due to the fact when I started out in practice in the mid to late 1990s, I found that many of my European colleagues were using osteotomies as part of their treatment for chronic ligament injuries. Now, at that point in time, I had not been exposed to osteotomies much in my residency because they had fallen out of favor. Uh, There was better outcomes seen with knee arthroplasty, so we weren't really doing osteotomies that much. So I had to learn how to perform opening wedge distraction osteotomies first using external fixators and then the acute opening wedge osteotomies, and I learned them from my mentors in Central Europe and Norway. I found that these patients did well, and over time found out that slope correction needed to be taken into consideration for both osteoarthritis and chronic knee ligament injured patients. Now, over time, I found niches for both younger and active patients that were older for osteotomies, well, osteoarthritis, as well as for patients that had chronic knee ligament injuries. While these two pathologies are technically different, many patients have pathologies that overlap. I'm currently seeing patients back that were treated over 20 years ago, and I've found that taking into account their slopes and the coronal plane correction yield the best outcomes. I honestly don't feel that offering an osteotomy for the treatment of osteoarthritis has changed much since this article was written. However, I do feel I've advanced my skills more, where now I feel like I tackle the sagittal plane slope corrections at a higher level, mainly due to our anatomy and biomechanical studies and the effects of slope on cruciate ligament pathologies. That is a key lesson that I I can remember learning from you uh, during fellowship. And in your article, it's something uh, that you mentioned that you utilize a medial unloader brace for a period of two months. How much credence do you actually put into the utilization of the brace And if the patients don't have any benefit, do you still use an osteotomy as an option? And lastly, are there any other non-operative modalities that you try prior to the procedure? That's a very good question. I really do put a lot of credence in using the medial unloader, uh, especially for the patients that are needing a proximal tibial osteotomy. And I feel it's a good option for a patient that presents that's bow-legged and has medial compartment arthritis. As you know, I go into detail about the procedure and the fact that patients will be on crutches for three months 
So I really need for them to buy into the surgery. And if the brace use takes their pain away, a proximal tibial osteotomy almost always results in equal increased benefits. In addition, I find that some patients find out the brace lets them do what they want activity-wise, and maybe they'll choose not to undergo an osteotomy. That's really the main non-operative modality that I'll try prior to proceeding with an osteotomy. Uh, a lot of my patients are referral patients, as you know, and they've already come in and tried therapy, and they've tried activity modification. But the brace, I find, is one of the best screens for me to decide who would benefit from an osteotomy and who would not. Excellent. And uh, in addition, I've noticed that you're planning that you aim for correction through the lateral tibial eminence. Do you ever have concerns of overcorrection? And are there any other preoperative planning considerations that you have that you can discuss with our audience? That's another great observation. Dogma was that correction should be to that 62% point. However, science shows us that 62% point for correction is over into the lateral compartment. And this can often result in overcorrection, and patients really don't like that. We find that the apex of the lateral tibial eminence, which many taught from the podium, was a 62% point. But when you actually go and measure it, it's about 56% of the distance along the tibia. And that's what we should be aiming for for our correction. In addition, it's important not to overcorrect for an osteotomy performed for a chronic ligament pathology. In those cases, one should try to correct to the neutral coronal plane alignment point and strive to make sure that you're addressing the sagittal plane slope is one of the main issues that you're trying to correct here. Well, that uh, was an excellent finding in addition uh, to your paper is truly defining where that lateral tibial eminence falls and uh, its radiographic parameters. And uh, one of the interesting things I noticed in your paper is some possible technical differences that have changed in your hands. And uh, having seen that, how have your technical uh, advancements change in terms of your plate placement, adjunct fixation compared to 10 years ago? And can you help describe how you technically approach proximal tibial osteotomies with the most common errors you've seen from your revision practice and any additional pearls that could help us be more successful in treating this active population? Yeah, those are, are good questions. I think the two most important things I've learned as I've gone along and gained more experience is that almost every osteotomy needs to be considered for a biplanar correction. We're not just looking at the coronal plane. Uh, another point that you need to know your osteotomy system so that you can work with it to allow for biplanar corrections. Some osteotomy systems don't have biplanar corrections built into it. So you have to be cautious in using them because you may not be doing the best possible surgery and giving your patients the best chance for longevity after an osteotomy. The other thing I've learned with experience is that exposure is the key to success. The more exposure you have, the safer you can be, and the more efficient you can be to performing an osteotomy safely. So I make sure that my incision is midway between the tibial tubercle and the posteromedial crest of the tibia, and I make sure that I do a, a pretty extensive MCL release, and it allows for safe exposure during retraction. If you don't do that adequate MCL release off the distal tibia, it's difficult to be able to make sure that you're adequately retracting the neurovascular structures. And I like to be able to place a finger along the posterior aspect of the tibia and be able to palpate all the way to the posterior medial aspect of the fibular head. So I think the two things that's changed the most for me over the last 10 years is that I'm 
really making sure that I have good exposure, which has cut my operative time probably in half. We're doing most of our osteotomies within 30 minutes and, and feeling that we're not rushing. And the other thing is that I just need to make sure that I'm achieving that biplanar correction. So I'll, I'll use the intraoperative fluoroscopy and make sure that I'm changing my slope appropriately in those patients. And of course, as, as you've always taught me, just do the right thing for the patient and always make sure that you're improving their outcomes. And looking at your paper and the outcomes of your patients, it appears that the majority of them had successful outcomes in terms of successful improvement of symptoms at their two-year follow-up. The scores improved to good to moderate overall function, as well as pain control. How do you counsel your patients on outcomes and the degree of functional relief that they will get from the procedure? And once they are fully healed, do you let them return to all of their baseline activities that they want to do? Those are good questions. And I think one of the important things that I found when we analyze our data over time is that patients after an osteotomy heal faster than a ligament surgery. And they usually achieve their relative ceiling for their successful outcome scores at around six months. Then those results seem to hold steady for many years. And most of our patients, uh, because I've switched between Minnesota and Colorado and back home, most of them, the longest follow-up that we have for our studies is about eight years. But I'm starting to see patients back that are are 20 years post-op. And when I've done a good correction, both sagittally for slope and also coronally for their alignment, those patients are still doing fairly well. In terms of activities, I generally recommend these patients cross-train and strive to work on low-impact activities, such as cycling and walking, and try to not return to impact activities. But of course, there's some high-level athletes who are able to return back to impact sports, and they can often be quite successful. But, you know, those are the outliers rather than normal for these procedures, and most of our patients, we're trying to let them basically get back to normal everyday activities, hunt and fish and cycle and things like that without having a lot of pain and and be able to get back to doing the things that they enjoy. Well, Dr. LaPrada, thank you so much for your contributions to the journal uh, for this article itself and for how much you've taught all of us uh, in terms of the complex knee surgery, including proximal tibial osteotomies. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us about these unique uh, injuries and pathology. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts on the future of proximal tibial osteotomy with any advancements in biologics and other non-operative modalities? Thank you. I I believe the biggest advancement in treating patients who need an osteotomy will be in our plate designs better allow for biplanar corrections and a sooner return to weight bearing. I honestly have never seen a patient that doesn't need a biplanar correction. Most of the patients who have arthritis have had a meniscectomy, and those patients you want to decrease the slope, so you put it back on normal cartilage. And obviously, we're looking for biplanar corrections for almost any ligament reconstruction that we do. So when our plate designs allow for the masses to be able to address the biplanar correction, I think patients will do better. And also, when we can have plate designs that are stronger, that with these biplanar corrections, we can start earlier weight-bearing, I think that'll also improve their function. And I think that's, that's what our our goal will be over the next decade is trying to to improve function by having better means to address the biplanar corrections and also earlier weight bearing. Well, thank you once again, Dr. LaProd. Dr. LaProd's classic arthroscopy article entitled Prospective Outcomes of Young and Middle-Aged Adults with Medial Compartment Osteoarthritis 
treated with a proximal tibial opening wedge osteotomy was published in March 2012 and can currently be accessed at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you very much, Dr. Decker. Thank you all for joining us and have a great evening. views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal.